I have no problem believing the power of God. Where I struggle is his plans. No problem believing in his power. But sometimes I struggle with his plans. God's ways are higher than ours. And I, I, don't, I don't understand why he does what he does or when he does it. I mean, why would he exalt a young man to the throne, second in command in Egypt, but he had to be accused of rape and go to jail and to get to that spot? I don't understand why he, no problem believing in his power. I struggle with his plans. I have no problem believing God is able to do anything, but somehow why he chooses to do when he does it, that's where I struggle with. But I can promise you this. Whenever he does what he wants to do, we can look back and say, it was God. It was God. And his goodness is running after us tonight. What a wonderful place to be. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. We will not keep you long tonight, but I want to personally thank, and I know Calvin Ray would extend this gratitude to all the churches that have moved your midweek service over tonight. Just... 1,425 here this evening. Just a tremendous crowd. Thank you for that. And 317 in the choir. So I thank you. But I got news for you. We ain't done. We got two more nights. And as you've noticed, the attendance is getting bigger. The services are becoming more more free and the freedom of the Lord has been there every single night, but we're right just, we're right there to just a breakthrough like we've never seen before. We're right there. And I believe tonight could be the night. Joshua chapter five, verse one says, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And if you will turn to verse 9. We'll skip verses 2 through 8. The reason why we don't have time to read those but God had instituted uh, a means uh, to go for the children of Israel to go back and reinstitute some some things, and we'll discuss them here in a little bit. But verse nine, we'll pick up there. It says, "And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho." And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn 
in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Notice with me in verse 12, the first four words where it says, and the manna ceased. And the manna ceased. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, the danger of living in the goodness of God. The danger of living in the goodness of God. A strange title, but I think you'll understand by the time we get to the end. The danger of living in the goodness of God. Calvin Ray preached the other night on the stork, and if you've known Calvin Ray, and and I believe he'll be ending his 46th year of, of preaching here in August, he loves to preach about nature, and one of the animals he loves to preach about is the eagle. And many of you have heard his messages over the years on the eagle. And one thing I'd like to bring out about that as we open up this message tonight is there comes a point in time when the eaglets have to leave the nest. And so it's the responsibility of the mother eagle to make sure that the eaglets don't get too comfortable where they are living. And so uh, they haven't flown yet. So what the mother eagle will do is she will actually put the eaglet on her back and she will begin taking flight out of the nest. She will soar to heights that that eaglet has never been before. And as that eagle is flying, she will turn over her back to the ground and the eaglet falls off her back and begins to fall to the ground. And from the time it leaves its mother's back, And from the time it hits the ground, it has to learn how to fly. But see, there's something that's been instilled in that eaglet. But it cannot be activated until it leaves the house. And the only way for the eaglet to leave the house, it has to become uncomfortable where he's at. You know what the mother eaglet will do? They will actually, it's a, I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of an eagle's nest, but you can look it up. They will will line that with with animal fur to make it comfortable. But in order for the, and, and so the eaglet has a wonderful place to live. It's comfortable in its current state. But what the mother eagle will do is she will again taking fur out. So that way the eaglet feels the pricks of the sticks that are underneath. So the home becomes uncomfortable, but that's the only way that she can get the eaglet to leave is when the home becomes uncomfortable and he knows he can't stay where he's at. And so she will fly, turn over, the eaglet begins to fall, and something is instilled on the inside of that little eaglet. It knows how to fly, but it hasn't had to yet. (laughs) So what I'm trying to tell you tonight is, there are many of you that have been in the house, you've been in the nest for way too long. It's time for you to begin to fly. It's time for you to leave your comfort zone and it's time to fly in the goodness of God. How many of you believe tonight? And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but how many of you know that God has been good to us? But may I remind you, he's got something better. 
The goodness of God is the nest. The goodness of God is what he gives to us on a daily basis. The goodness of God is his faithfulness day by day. But there is a danger in living in the nest. You can never experience flying with the eagles if you're always living in the nest. But I got good news for you. Yes, he has been good to us. But hallelujah, it's time for us to fly and get something better. Amen. Hallelujah. We can live in the goodness of God. And there is a danger in living in the goodness of God. Because we can get comfortable living in his goodness. And we don't understand that as good as he is to us, it can be gone tomorrow. He can choose to bless us and he can choose not to. And so... Here we are in this place that we can live somewhere long enough and we can wander aimlessly long enough that we become of no use. We actually start to live in a reality that don't exist. It's like, I don't know many of you that there's a lot of talk here lately about artificial intelligence and virtual reality. My son for Christmas got a virtual reality headset and I don't know if you've ever put one of these on or have tried it, I want to, if you haven't, I suggest trying it because it's, it's pretty amazing. In a matter of seconds, I can be transported anywhere in the world from my living room. But may I warn you, watch where you walk. Just because it's an open <laughs> beach or wherever it's at it, what, that you're seeing, you can walk right into a wall. Ask me how I know. But those virtual reality, listen to me, the virtual reality headsets come with a warning. They tell them, do not keep that thing on for very long because your real reality will become skewed because you're living in the virtual reality. And some of you have been living in the virtual reality for way too long that your true reality isn't, you don't even know what normal is anymore. And you know why? Because you're living in a state of comfort. You're living in the state of God. You've been good to me and I'm just gonna sit here and remain satisfied. But may I remind you, he has been good to us. But there's so much more. There's so much more. So here... The children of Israel, they are now in a brand new land. They've made it to the promised land. And they're in a place called Gilgal. And God told them, they said in verse 9, I read to you. He said, I'm going to roll the reproach of Egypt away. And that's why they called it Gilgal. The word Gilgal in the Hebrew actually means to roll away. They've been living in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're in a brand new place, brand new possessions, and actually it's a brand new group of people. You see, the people that walked into the promised land aren't the same people that walked out of Egypt. So my question is, why would God say, I'm going to roll away the approach of Egypt upon people that were never in Egypt? Here's the reason, I think. Because even though you're distant from Egypt, sometimes the disgrace of Egypt still follows you. Amen. 
And you can't live in the promise of your future with the past on your back. And so what he said, I'm going to do, I'm going to roll away the reproach of Egypt. I'm going to roll away any mention of what has happened in past generations because it's a brand new start. It's a brand new life. It's a brand new group of people. So I'm going to do a new work in you. But in order to do a new work, I got to remind you of some things. He made them institute two ceremonial things that the children of Israel had always done but they hadn't done them in years. The first was circumcision. You all know what circumcision is? Kids, if you don't know, ask your parents when you get home. <laughs> but, but here, we're, we're missing it. It's not just the act that was important. It was what it symbolized. Do you, un, do you know this? Egyptians weren't circumcised, but Israelites were. So even though they were out of Egypt, they still look like Egypt. And sometimes we need to be reminded that where we used to be ain't where we are now. And if God has brought you from Egypt, it's time for you to start living like you're in the promised land. And remember, he's created in you a brand new life in Christ Jesus. Listen, if there's no change, there's no Jesus. And remember, hallelujah, you're marked with the price. You're marked with the precious blood of the land. He said, I want you to institute circumcision. Then he said, I want you to institute Passover. What was the reason for that? He wanted them to understand that they're living in this brand new place, brand new possessions, brand new people, but the only reason why they're there is because a lamb had to die. They're only there because of nothing they've done. They're not there because of anything on their own merit. There are day, they are there in the promised land only because the angel came, the angel of the Lord came through actually. And he said, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. He wanted them to always remember the only reason you're in this land of victory is because the lamb had to die. And may I remind you, this promised land, I know we liken it to heaven, but I liken it to a land of victory. It's a place of victory that the current child of God can live in. And the only reason you're in this land of victory tonight is because the Lamb of Calvary died upon the cross. And that's the only reason why we can have victory. Hallelujah. And so... They're in this new land. New people. New possessions. Living in the promise of God. And you know how they knew they had reached the promise? Verse 12. The manna ceased. They've reached the promise and God stopped the miracle. The manna, the manna was food that they ate every day in the wilderness. They didn't know what to call it. The word manna means what is it? They looked at it, they didn't know what it was, but they ate it every day in the wilderness for 40 years. It came 
from heaven. How many of you know and believe that God supplied it every day? It was God's goodness that all they had to do was go out and gather it and eat it. It sustained them. It was necessary for them to live. But they're not in the wilderness anymore. God had been good to them. God gave them what they needed. Their clothes didn't fade. Their shoes didn't wear out. They made it. God was good, but he had something better. The manna ceased. God stopped the miracle. New people, new places, the promises of God. Now they've got new provisions. Do you understand that in order for you to get to where God wants you to be, sometimes he has to stop what he's given to you. That's the danger of living in the goodness of God. You know, you realize that, and please, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to explain myself, so don't get mad at me, but some people are hard to pastor. Some churches are hard to pastor. I will include Rubyville in that. You know why? Because on any given service, we have a variety of people that are on different spiritual levels. So sometimes I find it difficult to make sure that we are satisfying everybody with what God has given us. And the danger is this. Sometimes, senior saint, thank you for your service to God. Dad, thank you for 50 years. Some of you in here have been serving and ministering for God for a lot longer. But that ain't where God, you know, It ain't time for dad to hang it up. And sometimes we can reach a spiritual level and think that's as far as we can go. And we're satisfied with manna. Oh yeah, we can raise our hand and say, God's been good to us. But may I remind you, dad, he's got something better for you. Those of you that have only been saved for a week, he's got something better for you. Those of you who have been saved 10, 15, 20 years, he's got something better for you. You say, how do you know that? Because the manna ceased. So what happened? You say the manna ceased. Yeah, the manna ceased. They got comfortable in God's goodness. God stopped the manna. Why did he stop the manna? Why did the manna cease? Newsflash, they didn't need manna anymore. Why? God had been good to them, but they didn't need man anymore. Why did they need man anymore? Because they was living in a land that was flowing with milk and honey. God never intended for you to eat the food of the wilderness in the promised land. 
And some, some of you, you've been living in the goodness of God and thank God for it. But it's time for you to move up. It's time for you to fly with the eagles. It's time for you. Yes, God's been good to you, but he's got something better. Stop eating the manna and start eating the milk and honey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wendy's is good. McDonald's is good. Somebody say amen. I'm busy preaching. Lucasville Giovanni's is good after a spring jubilee. Amen. Somebody's trying to promote them because they stayed open late for us. But how many of you know when I go to my mama's house and she's got cube steak, mashed potatoes, my sister brings noodles. It's all the things she can make. She's actually shaking her head yes ever. She makes mac and cheese pretty good out of the box. But anyway, uh, mac and cheese, noodles, taters, cube steak. I'm not walking into my mama's house. And I'll say, you know what? I'll be back. I'm not going to run down here to Wendy's and get me a single with ketchup only. And come back and sit at my mama's table eating a single when I've got a home-cooked meal in front of me. Now, some of you weird young people are going to think that's, that's better, but you're crazy. Why in the world would I eat a single with ketchup when I've got a home-cooked meal from my mama in front of me? You understand what I'm getting at? Why in the world would you be satisfied with manna if God's got milk and honey for you? Don't eat the food in the wilderness. Don't eat the food of the wilderness in the promised land. Hallelujah. God changed their desire. God changed their want to when he changed their diet. And some of you, some of you need to stop eating. It's not that you're not eating. It's just you're eating the wrong thing. You're satisfied with living in his goodness when he wants you to live in his greatness. Amen. He supplied the manna, but he also stopped the manna. So that tells us this. Just because God sends it from above doesn't mean it's permanent. Sometimes we can fall in the trap when you have a good service and they sing a certain song or a certain person testifies or or, or, or do this or that and something spectacular happens and God does something special. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can fall in the trap that that same thing has to happen next time in order for God to show up. I tell my Rubyville people all the time, some of you only think God shows up and we sing as long as I got King Jesus. But God shows up when we sing the goodness of God. Sometimes he shows up when we sing what will it be when we get over yonder. Hey, I, 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 I ain't God's spiritual thermometer. He can do what he wants to do. I'm just going to sit back and eat what he sends my way. Hallelujah. It's good preaching. I don't care who you are. Man. So he supplied the manna supernaturally. But now, the milk and honey is natural. It's coming from the land. Some things God gives us comes from heaven. 
and the manna came from heaven. But this blessing in the promised land didn't come from heaven. It was all around them. All they had to do was walk in it. And some of you are waiting for God's next blessing to fall. But all you got to do is look around you. It's all around you. You just got to walk in it. Remember the old timers used to say when they would get up and they would testify, we had a man, Charlie Pertee at Beach Fork. He would, he would just simply stand up, raise his hand, and he'd say, I'm glad I'm saved. And he'd sit back down. We'd had other people where I grew up and even at Rubyville, they would say, I'm glad I've got the victory. You know what they did? Every day they woke up, they lived a life of victory. You know what that means? They were living in the promised land, eating what God was supplying. All they had to do was walk in the blessings of God that was standing all around them. And so I preached all this to get to this point, but you better be thankful it's the end. (laughs) I want you to see what God did for him. They're in this brand new land. They've lived off the goodness of God for 40 years. And now God says, I've got something better for you. But I'm going to remind you just how good I have been to you. Look at what he, look at what it says. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And then the verse above talks about the parched corn in the selfsame day. So you can read that. And on the surface, it's pretty obvious. They ate some corn. And we can read that and look right over it and don't even understand. There's more than just they ate corn. That word parched corn actually means toasted or roasted. Let me me implant something. It's like popcorn. So go home and eat some popcorn tonight with some butter and salt on it. That's how us preachers do. We talk about things and you go home and partake of that. So parched corn, roasted, toasted corn. But then there's old corn. How many of you know that's different than parched corn? The word old corn means stored. Stored corn. Didn't they just get into the promised land? They didn't have time to store corn. They didn't have time to roast corn. So where did the corn come from? I got the answer. I'm not going to leave you hanging. There's a reason why I read verse one. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So we have two groups of people, the Amorites and the Canaanites. They were the enemies. 
So you say, Brian, you didn't give us an answer. Whose corn was it? The Amorites and the Canaanites. It was the enemy's corn. Wait a minute, hold up, back the train. Wasn't even the enemy's corn. Is not this the promised land? So wasn't it the children of Israel's corn to begin with? So that means the enemy had came in and taken what was rightfully theirs. So now they are partaking of the old corn and the parched corn that was the enemy's. No, it wasn't the enemies in the first place. The enemy took it from the children of Israel. So they're just taking back what the enemy had taken from them. (laughs) And when you start living in the promised land, hallelujah, you can go in and live this life of victory and say, devil, I'm taking back what you took from me. I'm not living in the wilderness anymore. I'm living a land of victory. Why? Because of Jesus and what he's done for me. And may I remind you, Karen, can you get a song ready? May I remind you, it's a promised land. God does not intend for you to live in the wilderness. He intends for you to live in the promised land. And the only problem is you're just not living there. You're satisfied with living in his goodness when he's got so much better. But the worst part about it, there are some of you here tonight, you are dry and barren in your soul. You don't even know what victory is because you've never experienced living in victory of salvation because Jesus is coming to your heart. May I remind you, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God did not intend for you to be lost. God did not intend for you to die and go to hell. He's prepared a place for his children. That's why the Bible says that hell hath enlarged herself, because hell doesn't have enough room for you. So why in the world would you want to go to a place that don't want you in the first place? Jesus has prepared a place for those that love him and want to live in victory.